Welcome into Locked On Senators, brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Chris Parliament, alongside Brandon Pillar. Tonight, the Senators are looking for their fourth straight win in Columbus. We will get you ready for the Blue Jackets, dive into some trades that brought over a Senator and their second leading scorer. A few other nice pieces came over as well, and we will wrap up a weekend that can maybe be a statement game for one struggling Belleville Senator. With the Senators preparing to take on the Columbus Blue Jackets this evening, it may be a couple specific units that dictate the outcome, eh, Pilsy? Yeah, this could be a game that's decided by special teams, Chris. I mean, the uh, power play for Columbus is red hot lately, but the Senators' penalty kill has been hot as well. So it's going to be kind of a point of who who has the hotter special team. Is the the Columbus Blue Jackets' power play going to be better than the Senators' penalty kill? We're going to have to see. And, I mean, just looking at, uh, if we're highlighting the Sens' penalty kill, they've been really good lately. They're right in the middle of the league, 15th overall at 82.5%. Let's, if you look back at the last four games, the Rangers, they went 0 for 4. The Habs, they had a good night on the power play, 1 for 1. But then the Wings were 0 for 3 and the Sabres 0 for 2. So last four games, the penalty kill has only given up one power play goal in 10 attempts. So that's not too shabby for a rebuilding team, especially one that's getting used to some new players clicking in the lineup here. I mean, we're past 20 games in the season now, but they're really starting to show that they can mesh and hold down and stop uh, some pretty powerful power play units. And it's going to be a a familiar face for Sens fans on the other side as Paul McLean was brought in behind the bench in Columbus. He was hired on as assistant coach and his job was to come in and focus on special teams. And it's been working. If we're going to look on the other side of this, as you just broke down the Sens penalty kill, Columbus has power play goals in six of their last seven games. And and in the last two games, they have uh, multi-goal games on the power play. And in their last game, they actually had three on Saturday. So they're up to 20.3% on the power play, which is good for 12th in the league. And it looks like it's simple with Paul McLean right now. He just came in, like I said, a week ago. He's only been with the team for, I think, eight days now. So it can't be anything too dramatic. But obviously, it's been working. And it's just been pucks on net. And they're banging away at rebounds. So if the Senators want to stay successful on the penalty kill, I think it's just going to be clearing the crease and getting the pucks 200 feet down the ice. Yeah, and partly it's always nice to see a familiar face, especially... I don't know. I guess it's just uh, McLean's mustache, but that get gets a chuckle out of me every time, especially remember back in those press conferences when who was it on the Rangers was calling him a fat Brandon Prust. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't take too kindly to those remarks, but always good to see uh, a former Jack Adams award winner uh, still in the game, still coaching. We talked about that uh, Columbus Blue Jackets uh, power play. And this is a team that they got stretched real thin from trying to make their big push to win a playoff round, which, I mean, they did. So technically, it was a a success, but they pretty much sold the farm to get it. So once you get past their stud demon of Jones and Wierenski, then you've got your top forwards of Atkinson, Nyquist, and Luke Dubois. It gets pretty thin after that. So basically, what they've done is they've stacked that top power play unit. It's got Luke Dubois, Wierenski, Nyquist... uh, 
Bjorkstrand and then uh, Boot and Jenner on it. So if you can stop that first wave of the power play unit, I think the Sens can have a lot of success shutting down that second unit. So really, it's just about having a good start to that penalty kill, establishing that box, which they've done really well over the last couple of games, especially against Rangers. I thought their box was tight, and they were really able to uh, get sticks in lanes and keep the pucks wide. So if they can continue that and uh, make sure that the big guns on the Columbus power play aren't getting their uh, shots through, I think they're going to have a lot of success. Let's look at the Senators' power play now, where they were struggling mightily to start the season, but it's certainly getting back on track now. And it's still only running at 10%, but we've definitely seen some growth in the last couple of games, especially looking at that Duclair goal on Saturday, or sorry, Friday night, as we talked about that a lot on the show on Saturday. But I liked the look of it. I liked the home plate look, where you had Pajot and Ennis kind of buzzing around, playing as bumpers around the dots. Obviously, Brady Kachuk in his office out front, but then Duclair and Shabbat at the point. Obviously, we've seen a couple different looks with Logan Brown getting his first career goal on the power play as well with the top unit guys. Where would you like to see that top unit for the Senators? Do you want Logan Brown up there or Pajot and Ennis? Or are you kind of in the camp where whatever works, works right now? Go with that. Well, like you said, that power play unit looked great. And I, I tend to agree with you. I would say the Pajot, Ennis, Kachuk, Duclair and Shabbat unit was working really well. Because you've kind of got it all in that unit, if you really think about it. Pajot, you've got a guy who has been absolutely firing on all cylinders. I mean, shorthanded goals he's got. Uh, he leads the team in points. He's a plus 17, for God's sake. So the guy is just getting it done on all ends of the ice. Then you've got Tyler Ennis, who is basically becoming a power play specialist. He leads the team with power play goals with three so I'd like to keep him on there just as a kind of sneaky offensive threat. And then you've got Declare, Kachuk, and Shabbat, which I don't think they really need much of an introduction. So as you can see, the top power play unit has got it all. You've got the puck-moving defenseman. You've got Brady, who's going to be right in front, banging pucks home. And then Declare, who has apparently an absolute bomb from the point, <laughs> as we saw last game. So... I don't think there's a single thing you change. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, especially when your power play up until uh, they played the Rangers was operating at just single digit percentage of success rate. You cannot change anything that's working. So I think that top unit, if they can keep cycling and keep moving their feet while they're on the power play is going to have a lot of success. I think you're right in that situation. And then when they were struggling early in the year, it was tough for them to get pucks into the zone. And now what they're certainly able to get into the zone now. And what I like about it is once they get past that blue line, they aren't stagnant. The puck's moving. It's going from side to side. It's keeping the penalty killers going. And then, yeah, when you have a shot on net like that, when Duclair, I think that one was going through traffic if there was any out front, but it didn't have any traffic out front other than Brady Kachuk in his office. He was able to find the slot. And then again, side to side, it's so important. And we saw how much it can open up a penalty kill unit because Logan Brown again was wide open on his first career goal on the power play. So we've mentioned two centermen that have played on the power play, Logan Brown and John Gabriel Pajot. I agree. If it's working at this point, you're only running at 10%. You got to find something, but a name that has not been in this power play discussion much is Colin white still yet to record a point with the man advantage this year. And got that big contract in the offseason and centers fans were kind of expecting to slot him into that number one centerman role and it really hasn't worked out yet right now playing on the third line 
is this a situation where DJ Smith is saying what I just said, go with whatever works because they're struggling so much? Or do you think this is Colin White not getting it done as much as other guys? Well, Chris, I think it, maybe it's a little bit of both. And I think it's pretty clear that we both agree that you're not going to change that first power playing unit. So if you're going to do any tinkering, it's going to be on the second unit. And what I'd like to see is, like you said, White's been kind of bumped down a little in the lineup. He's getting last minutes. And the biggest thing is that he's been playing on the wing a lot lately. And this is a guy you gave him basically a contract that, for lack of a better uh, term, defining him as a second line center. That's basically the money that he's been given and kind of the the slot that he fits into with that contract. So what I'd like to see is have DJ Smith uh, allow Colin White to center the second power play unit. That way he can hopefully get a little bit more confidence. He can work on um, getting better in the dot, winning faceoffs. And then with time and with confidence, if he does end up getting some points on that second power play unit, then you want to move him back to uh, his original place in center, centering a second or a third line on five on five because this is a guy who he's got a lot of time uh, with the centers and you want him to be either a second or at worst, I would say a third line center, even strength. So let him build back up to that. And the best way to do that is on the power play when you've got a man advantage. And you mentioned that he's playing on the wing. And I think that's kind of, he was forced into that situation just because of injury troubles, obviously Vladimir, Vladislav Nemesnikov going down injured, that leaves a hole on the wing. And then when you're pulling up guys like JC Boudin, where he's a natural centerman, you also got Philip Schlappick. There's a lot of centermen down there. I don't want to see a JC Boudin or Philip Schlappick up on the third line where a Chris Tierney can be. So I yep. think that DJ's hand was a little bit forced into allowing this. But you mentioned the minutes he's played is declining. He played just over 14 and a half minutes against New York. I don't think that's a number that I'm comfortable with for Colin White right now, especially with the injuries in the lineup. Do you think it's going to go up tonight? Well, I would hope so. And Colin White is a guy who, coming down the stretch last season, he was relied upon in a big, heavy way. So I don't think there's a really a question of can this guy handle the minutes. I think mostly this is just kind of... Um, if you remember, he didn't really have a conditioning stint down in Belleville because I think he only played one game in Belleville when he's coming back from his hip injury. And then they called him up real quick because they didn't have a choice with just some of the injuries that you rhymed off there earlier. So I would really like to see. Um, I don't think anything needs to happen quick and immediately. But over time, over a four game period, I'd like to see those minutes kind of climb up. And through him getting more confidence, hopefully on the power play, we see him back centering that line with Ennis and Tierney although it's tough though because I don't know about you Parley but I thought Tierney has done pretty well in that center position I mean he's been winning draws uh he's cr he created a bunch of chances uh the other night against the Rangers so that's a situation where I said earlier if it ain't broke don't fix it but sometimes you have to do some tinkering for the betterment of uh the long term which Colin White being in that middle position is the betterment for this future and that's what uh the Senators have planned so let's work towards getting that going again. Yeah, it looks like he will be on the wing again tonight in Columbus. Again, a 7 o'clock start. So with those 7 o'clock starts being on a Monday, hockey's probably on your mind and maybe not dinner. So not only can we get you set up for the game, but we can help you out with dinner as well. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash 
offers. Again, that's $5 off your your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKED ON. Sticking with tonight's game, it's a big one for Anthony Duclair. Kind of a coming home moment for him, and he's played on five teams in six NHL seasons so far. But Pilsy, in the last show, you said he was quickly becoming your favorite senator with his former team, the foe, this evening. What a better time to dive into a deal that's really starting to look like a home run for the Sens. Oh, yeah, for sure, probably. And I mean, geez, you said it. He's been with so many teams uh, recently. I bet Duclair's got some of the best luggage sets uh, you'll see. He's probably got top of the line uh, luggage sets because he moves so often. He's getting used to it. But hopefully he can put the luggage sets in the closet and he's going to be staying in Ottawa for a while because I absolutely love what I'm seeing from Anthony Duclair so far. Let's take a look at uh, the differences he's had since coming from Columbus. So if you take a look, he only had 19 points in 53 games with Columbus last season. In his combined time in Ottawa from last season to now, he has 29 points in less games in 44 games. So clearly, moving from uh, a team that was really in a big push to... Uh, it's kind of funny to say they were in a big push just to win one playoff round, but that's essentially what it was. He kind of got lost in the shuffle. He goes to a rebuilding team, gets some confidence, gets some better minutes, gets a change of scenery, and he really lit it up and is showing uh, not only Ottawa Senators fans, but kind of the hockey world what he's able to do. And hopefully he can continue on that pace with a new coach and DJ Smith. You mentioned it, the coach there, and the big thing for him was his in Columbus was his relationship or lack thereof relationship with Tortorella. I got a quote here for you. I'm going to read it verbatim. It's worth it. This is how powerful and big this situation was against Anthony Duclair and his style of play in Columbus. So this is what coach Tortorella had to say about him just last season. I don't think he knows how to play. I just think he thinks he can do whatever the hell he wants on the ice. He can't do it at the National Hockey League level. We have spent a lot of time trying to teach him, trying to teach him situational play away from the puck. All the stuff we do with players. Sometimes it looks like he's understanding. I don't know if he just can't comprehend it or he's just stubborn, but he's running out of time. Well, that time seems like it didn't only run out for Tortorella, but also Jarmo Kekalainen. He listened to his coach and moved him at the deadline to the Senators. And it wasn't only Duclair who came over. It was a pair of second round picks as well. And that was for Ryan Dezingle. And if you remember back to a season ago, Ryan Dezingle turned down a contract of five years with a cash value of over $20 million. He was traded over there, and I guess he didn't get along with Torts very well either. He was a healthy scratch down the stretch a little bit. And if you look at what he's doing this season with Carolina, he and Duclair each have 15 points. But I think what Duclair is doing for the Senators playing in that top line role is something that maybe... Ryan Dezingle probably couldn't do. Yeah, and I think a big part, uh, I think a lot of us, especially people who really knew Ryan Dezingle and Torts' style, when they made that trade, it was kind of a head-scratcher because you're thinking, if Duclair wasn't fitting in with Torts' style, I don't think Ryan Dezingle is going to fit in much better, which clearly was was the truth. But I think what Kekalainen was seeing was that chemistry between Duchesne and Dezingle throughout the year was absolutely incredible. Dezingo was lighting it up. So I think he was trying to redo some of that magic, but it clearly didn't work. And in his in his last month in Columbus, Declare was averaging just over 10 minutes a game. So it was clear that uh, Tortorella really was not that confident in him and was starting to show him that, look, I'm not going to give you the ice time because you're not proving it. And you, you rattled off some quotes uh, that uh, Tortorella had to say about Declare. I just want to read one more that I thought was really interesting. 
He said, torts on declare, that is. For me right now, he's off the rails. I'm not so sure we're going to spend a lot more time trying to get him back on the rails. So clearly, Torts is just saying, we're kind of done with this guy. He's admitting that he knows the skill and potential Declare has. But when you got guys like uh, Panarin, you got Bobrovsky, you've got Duchesne, and the list goes on for that Columbus team last season, they just didn't have time to focus on Declare anymore. And I think the most gutless thing that Tortorella did was when Declare left, when he was traded, the next practice... Tortorella is using Declare's old stick to run the practice, kind of like a, I don't yeah. know, the best way I can think of it is like it's when you put like a head on a spike when people come towards uh, <laughs> your castle in the old days, showing them that, look, we're going to make an example out of you if you don't uh, pay attention to us. So that's kind of what he was doing. But Declare has been lighting it up ever since. And I think that's one of the best trades Pierre Dorian has made when you look at it, because I would way rather have Declare and two second round picks than Dezingle at his price point. Not that it's a terrible deal. I think it was just a two-year deal worth over a little more than three and a half for Dezingle in Carolina. But I think you can lock down Declare for a much better term. And then having those two second-round picks to throw in your cupboard for a rebuilding team is just incredible. So that's that's a home run of a trade if I've ever seen one. And, you know, good for Ryan Dezingle moving on, but I'm happy with Anthony Declare. And I hope to God that he's going to be a senator for at least another three years. And he has turned it around playing for DJ Smith. It looks like some of these comments did get to declare as a young player as he matures into an NHL player. And he has said that he has been working hard on his play off the puck. He's been watching lots of film with DJ Smith, and it's it's working because DJ Smith is even utilizing his skills on the penalty kill as well. And if you want to look at production right now, what Declare is doing for the Senators, he has 10 goals, as you mentioned earlier in the show. Columbus's leading goal scorer, Pierre-Luc Dubois. 10 goals as well and we know that Columbus is struggling to score goals yeah and I mean if if you start looking down the lineup it doesn't get much better for the goal scores I mean your next top goal scorer is Zach Wierenski who's a defenseman and he's only shooting at a 9.8 uh success percentage so he's taking a lot of shots and not scoring a lot and then he's only got six goals and then your next guy is Boone Jenner with six goals but he's sitting uh he's probably in the race for the green jacket at a dash 15 so this team, they really, I mean, you got to respect what Kekalainen did. He's showing the fans in Columbus, look, we we think we have a chance here. We have an all-star goalie. We've got a good uh, blue line. We've got Panarin. We know Bobrovsky and Panarin are leaving. We're going to push all in for this season. And they had probably the shock of at least a decade in playoff hockey sweeping one of the greatest teams we've seen in this era in that Tampa Bay Lightning squad. So, you know what? The push was a success, I'd say. It's a shame they didn't get past the second round to uh, come back this season so depleted. But I I like what the Senators did in that trade, and they got some, uh, not just Duclair and some second-round picks. They acquired a little bit more with Duchesne coming uh, the other way in that trade as well. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at that trade, it was Vitaly Abramov, Jonathan Davidson, a conditional first-round pick who we knew now turned into Lassie Thompson, and another first-round conditional pick in 2020. So those are big parts of the future. We've already seen Abramov and Davidson at that pro level, and Abramov continuing to light it up in Belleville. I think Jonathan Jonathan Davidson is not a guy you expect to make a jump into a top-six role, but definitely can be an NHL player. We've seen it already. And also going in that trade the other way was Julius Bergman. So I think another home run was hit. I think Pierre Dorian looked and said, hey, we got a situation where Columbus are buyers, we're sellers, let's make a couple deals. And I think that Ottawa was able to come up on the big side of both of them. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, 
when at the time we didn't really know a lot about uh, Abramov and Davidson, but they've really shown that they're high potential draft picks, especially Abramov. And the interesting thing about Abramov is we talked about it in other shows too. It had been a long, long time since the Senators have had a Russian on their squad. And that kind of opened the floodgates, it seemed, because after Abramov came, uh, then we saw Zaitsev, Anisimov, uh, Nemestikov. So that really opened the floodgates for a lot of uh, Russian talent to come to this organization. And I think for the better, we got some really good talent there. And Abramov just keeps lighting it up. I mean, this guy's offensive skills are off the charts. He's got seven goals, seven assists, uh, good for 14 points in 16 games down in Belleville. So I really like what I'm seeing from him. And like you said, I don't think Davidson, we're going to expect to see jump and really uh, have eye-popping stats just yet. But from what we've seen from him, he looks like a top-notch player. And with time, we can see him uh, at least top six in Belleville and maybe some uh, time uh, with Ottawa, especially after the trade deadline, once some pieces get moved and roster spots open up. For sure. And you mentioned that Vitalia Bramov is having a great season in Belleville. He had another good game on Saturday night, but as a goalie-friendly show, we would be remiss not to talk about the fact that we were very harsh on Philip Gustafson last time we talked saying that if the Senators can't go to him on a back-to-back, well, what is he there for? They did go to him on a back-to-back, and he showed up. He showed up big time, Parley. I mean, I don't know whether he heard how brutal traffic is in Brampton and how much worse the bus rides are in the East Coast League, or he listened to our episode and heard what I had to say because he turned around his game real quick. A 37-save performance, that'll do the trick to show your coach that you can be trusted especially partly get this i didn't uh we didn't catch the game because it was uh, a road game for belleville but just looking at uh the stats after this the belleville centers were outshot 38 to 18 they were outshot 16 to 3 in the third period alone he almost had the shutout actually because he didn't let a goal in until 14 seconds left in that game and they were on the power play so i'm assuming that was a six on four the phantoms probably had their net uh pulled so This is a guy who he really put it on his shoulders and he realized, look, if I can't uh, get off to a better start in my games because he was pulled after just two periods in his last game, I'm not going to be around here much longer. And if you just look at his game game by game uh, stats, he let in four goals, five goals, three goals, four goals, four goals, four goals, and then just one in that last game. And from looking at the highlights of that last game, I thought Gustafson really, something must have clicked. Uh, Maybe the goalie coach spent a lot more time with him. But he was snagging pucks down with his glove with confidence, even showing a little flair, showing off the the snag after, and just smothering rebounds. There was no rebounds to be had from the highlights that I was watching. So good for Philly franchise to get that big boost. And you you really want Gustafson to be starting much more than just back-to-backs. Like, he's not kind of a plug-and-play goalie. This is a guy you invested a lot in and hope like I would say uh, his ceiling is really the highest of any of the senators goalie prospects. You're expecting a lot more from him in the future than you are from guys like Hogberg Decord, maybe not Sogard since he's so young and he was also a second round pick. But he's the guy that really you've got big picture thinking for and good for him to show up. And uh, hopefully that confidence boost will carry on throughout the rest of the season. Yes, yeah, so that 37 save performance earned him first star honors in that game. And you mentioned Joey Decord there. And if you're following us at Sun Central, the Locked On Senators account on Twitter, you would have seen Joey Decord, friend of the show, had a big night as well in his last game. He made 24 saves in a 4-1 win and he's up to 6-5. and five 
on the season in Brampton. That's going to be it for our Monday edition of Locked on Senators. We're looking forward to the game tonight. A few lineup notes there. Craig Anderson will be between the pipes for the Senators as they have a chance at a winning record with the win tonight, bringing them to 12-11-1 on the season. Action starts at 7 tonight. We'll be back on air tomorrow with the recap. As always, this is Locked on Senators brought to you by the Locked on Podcast, number one daily podcast network.